I'm now joined by Ed Hoyland from the Wednesday Week podcast. Ed, Sheffield Wednesday have won their last three games in the league. Are you feeling confident going into the game against Stoke tomorrow? <laughs> yes, yeah, so it, it's um, it's it's good to chat. Uh, we've had a really good three games, um, and and they have done an awful lot to undo a lot of the fear and loathing that was happening around Hillsborough um, after the start to the season. Uh, at the same time, I think a lot of Wednesday fans are hoping it's not just paving over the cracks, um, and it, it it really is. You know, uh, when we looked at the the fixture list one of the big tests of the season because I think most Wednesday fans, I think most fans of the championship expected when Stoke came down that this would be, uh, you know, one of the powerhouse teams. And it's it's probably interesting for those of us that have been down here for a few years to uh, to see that, that Stoke haven't, you know, they've struggled a little bit, I think it's fair to say, in terms of what the expectations were. And so it's going to be interesting to see what team comes back from the international break and what sort of mentality there is out there. Because there's a real thin line in the championship between um, teams that are completely dominant and believing themselves to the point where they just become unbeatable through force of will and teams that come down and just do not do it and they spend the you know the the rest of the season battling those fears of relegation and and honestly right now you know Stoke could be one of those two so um I always worry as a Wednesday fan because we're conditioned to it that, that we'll be the fall guys and mm. especially after an international break um a team like Stoke that has unbelievable quality will have finally woken up and will be the ones to get absolutely tonked yeah, um, I think that's just a natural pessimism of uh, most football fans, really. But yeah, you, you you do raise a good point, and whether Stoke come back as the title contenders we were kind of hoping, maybe expecting to be at the start of the season, I wish I knew as well. But uh, it's but yeah, it's been a it's been a tough start for us. Uh, looking at where you guys are after six games, you're eleventh in the league. Obviously, yeah, those last three wins were important for you. Where where do you uh, expect Wednesday uh, to be this season. What what were your kind of hopes at the start of the season like? So, so we've had a, a, a couple of years um, discounting the the last season where we have been really really pushing at the very sharp end of this division and um, with players that we've had and the performances we put in, we have felt that our rightful place was to be fighting for, if not automatic promotion, certainly then one of the ever-presents in the playoffs. And last season was really a rude awakening because it just didn't happen for us. We had a change of management uh, midway through the season, uh, a, a change that didn't take immediately, but brought dividends towards the end of the season. Um, so I think this year... Uh, with you know, with last season's results in the book, and combined with uh, the the knowledge that only really came out over the summer around things like you know transfer embargo, um, a, a, a lack of ability to continue to compete at the same level as far as transfer fees and wages were concerned. I think most Wednesday fans were kind of battening down the hatches for. Uh, a, a difficult season, and I think even the most optimistic Wednesday fans were were talking about you know mid table at best, um, and and a success would have been avoiding being in that relegation battle at the sharp end of the season. So, um, so right now with 
with three wins and some good performances and the return of some key players, we, I think now the average Wednesday fan is probably saying, okay, we're better than 11th, 12th, 13th. Ideally, we're probably a, a playoff team, but we're showing form that suggests that at the end of the season, we if we get eighth or ninth, then that's probably our natural level. And and you know the championship is a mad league, uh, and a, a team that catches fire will always make it to the playoffs at the end of it. But right now we are not as not as bad as we feared, but possibly not as good as we hoped. Could you explain a bit more about the kind of uh, situation off the pitch, uh, pitch with regards to transfers and stuff? Because I was just looking at your transfer activity this summer window just gone. You've made one signing on a on a free transfer. So what what has happened? So obviously, um, after years and years, you know, Sheffield Wednesday, uh, historically a, a big name as far as football is concerned, um, we were probably the the last big club to fall foul of relegation before things like parachute payments came in and we've kind of been battling our way back um you know from that so milan mandarich bought the club probably at its lowest ebb uh, stabilized us made us ready for somebody else to come in and then our current chairman dave and chancery who is part of um uh, the john west tuna empire uh so mm. you know this is a guy with deep pockets uh and initially a lot of money went into a bringing the club back up to um, to the right standard off the pitch. So in terms of stuff like you know, fixing the academy, fixing the training ground, making sure that Hillsborough, which was a bit crumbling and dilapidated, was you know, at least comparable to um, you know, the grounds in the championship. Um, a lot of that money was spent and then an awful lot of money was spent on players to you know what i'd say immediately make an impact so we signed the likes of gary hooper we signed the likes of stephen fletcher um you know barry bannon fernando forestieri at this level big names players with pedigree in the premier league and the idea was a promotion if not now then very very soon um and it, it did bring dividends it, it it pushed wednesday from being a middling championship team to being a, a a team um, that made it to the playoff final, that made it to the playoffs the season after that. However, those players were bought at the the peak and the declining peak of their career. Um, as a result, we have a wage bill that is astronomical in terms of um, our peers. We also have a playing squad that is probably on the downswing or has been on the downswing um, in terms of you know those those big names. They're only going to get worse. They ain't getting any better. And so it kind of culminated this summer with the, you know, the the, the realization that um, we couldn't pump or our owner couldn't pump any money, any more money into the club, and we were hamstrung by players on very very large contracts that spent the vast majority of the season either injured or out of form. Um, and so it's been a bit of a rebuilding summer. Uh, and the idea of it was very much revealing that we were in transfer embargo. And uh, in the last, you know, literally a week before the end of the loan window, we it was announced we were out of our transfer embargo, which meant we could now we could now do business. We don't have money to buy players, but what it did mean was that we could sign some key players. So Fernando, uh, not Fernando Forestieri, uh, Bobby Bannon and Lucas Joao could be signed to new contracts. And we could actually get some players in. And we've signed uh, two players 
um, in Josh Onomar and Michael Hector, who are uh, both from from Premier League team of Spurs and Chelsea, players with pedigree at this level uh, to strengthen what was looking like a bit of a threadbare squad. So right now we're kind of it feels like we're hanging on by our fingernails a little bit, but we have the quality as long as we stay injury free to compete. But if this does if this season doesn't work, it feels like there's probably a three or four year rebuild. Um, and we don't have the parachute payments. We don't have a plan B. So it is what it is. Um, and right now it, it's about getting what we can out of steadily declining players, I would say. OK, that's interesting. You mentioned uh, a couple of players that I, I want to move on to when uh, talking about your uh, prospects against Stoke, one of which is Lucas Jones. He's a uh, top scorer with three goals so far this season. And another is uh, Fernando Floresieri, who has two, but uh, is suspended for the game this weekend. Uh, are they your your key players? Do you think is are, are you a kind of top heavy side? Have you been relying on them, or where do where do your strengths lie essentially? Yeah, so interestingly, they uh, they're the players who probably make the most headlines. Um, Joao for his goals, um, and Forestieri for I suppose it, it's his overall play, but also his profile because he is a player that is mercurial. He uh, on his day is potentially the best player in the championship. Um, but he has disciplinary problems. He is petulant. He disappears at times. He, I suppose, is everything that um, an English football fan might say about the, you know, the, the flair players, the continentals, etc. cetera. Uh, and as a result, he, he, he might be our best player, but he's no longer the, the key component to our side. And Joss Lukai, our coach, has correctly identified that he... He needs to be managed correctly and used correctly. As a result, we have a situation where Fernando Forestieri spends a lot of time on the bench at Sheffield Wednesday, which is crazy when you think about what we're paying him and what we potentially can do for the team. However, um, the philosophy is very much now about production as a team. And Lucas Schwau is almost the opposite because he is a player who, who, who doesn't offer an awful lot. He doesn't... You know, he's not a, a, a busy striker. He's not a guy who gets back. He doesn't go box to box. What he does is, is kind of lollops around, waits for a ball to be played, and then shows why he is um, a very highly regarded striker because he can move the ball around with his feet. He can create space for himself. He's got a wicked shot from distance, but also finishing up close. But also he can bring other players into it as well. So... Um, He's a luxury player in many ways, but he is a very dangerous player. However, if I was watching this, um, you know, from a Stoke point of view, an awful lot of the engine room comes through the central midfield, and the central midfield goes through Barry Bannon, who is, without a shadow of a doubt, our best player in terms of his his importance. What makes Sheffield win six? So you'll see an awful lot of him um, dropping in between the centre backs receiving the ball early and his distribution to, to get the ball out wide. Um, when we've already got the ball out wide, he will then make an awful lot of runs into dangerous areas in between the two banks of four. Um, he'll appear uh, outside the area and whether he takes a shot, which he is lethal from 25 yards, or whether he will collect the ball and use it to either play in a striker uh, to run into the box or play again back outside for a, a winger to get a cross in. Um, he really makes us tick. And, and the teams that have managed to stifle 
Barry Bannon have managed to stifle Sheffield Wednesday. And I think uh, more than anything, that's probably the key um, as far as a, from an opposition point of view, how you disrupt the Sheffield Wednesday game plan right now. That, that's very interesting. I, I remember seeing uh, Barry Bannon like, come onto the scene at Blackpool and thinking he was a really decent player. I think maybe he even played alongside Charlie Adam, and I thought yeah. he was kind of the more underrated of the of the pair. Adam got the headline grabbing goals and stuff, but yeah, I was. Yeah, he was, was almost a, a, like a water carrier, wasn't he? Like a, yeah. a Didier Deschamps type uh, presence in there. Mm. Um, uh, and oddly, I went to a Sheffield Wednesday game last season. Uh, I went to your away cup match against Carlisle United uh, where it was a, a turgid 0-0 draw and from what I remember of that game you offered very little uh, going forward and I dare say it was even a few days or a day after uh, Lukai had been appointed manager where has he uh, progressed the team from from that point? Yeah, so he's a, a a coach who got given the job based on his ability to get teams up from the second tier in the Bundesliga. So that was, you know, that was what was sold to us as fans. Um, what he brought immediately was work an organisation, and and you know we had in Carlos Carvalho we had a a coach who um, played expansive football, but I think enjoyed the limelight a little too much. He became a little bit of a celebrity. Um, the media loved him. He gave great interviews. Um, and eventually, I think that that overtook his responsibility to the team. Uh, and I think a lot of the players started, you know, to put too fine a point on it, taking the piss. Um, and so he's a bit more of that kind of taskmaster. I liken him to Howard Wilkinson, another great Wednesday manager of the past, where um, he's got the team... Um, running, he's got them working hard for each other, and there are no superstars, as witnessed by the fact that he he, he will, he, you know, there's no sacred cows. He will put players on the bench um, if he doesn't think it, it they are either they've either given enough or that they fit the uh, the game plan, um, you know, going forward. But I would certainly say that um, we now play with a with much more structure. Um, and given the the financial constraints on the club, the other thing that, that he has done has brought an awful lot of very, very young and inexperienced players from our enemy into the team, not just to fill gaps, not just to blood them, um, but he's given them the chance to really shine. And one of the most pleasing things so far this season has been that we have a crop of youngsters who um, are inexperienced and from a from an opposition point of view... Um, I think you would look to target them because they don't have an awful lot of league experience. But thus far, Touchwood, uh, they have been able to, to to not only survive but thrive at this level. And and with the situation that we're in financially, that probably bodes well because they're probably at this point the future, um, you know, for 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 this team and for this squad. It sounds like you're very optimistic about uh, Wednesday, sort of on the pitch in particular. I mean, uh, with Stoke uh, coming to town tomorrow, where are you uh, looking at any potential weaknesses being in your side? <laughs> well, I, I honestly, I look at the, the 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 team sheets. I look at the you know the golfing class. I, you know, we I've waxed lyrical about Barry Bannon, um, Fernando Forrestier is a you know a good player. Uh, Lucas Joao is in form. We've got a, a talisman in Atinuiu. Um, you know, we've got what I would regard as very solid players. But we're coming up against a team that has 
you know, names like Butland and Shawcross and Benicophobi and, you know, Peter Crouch. He may be 97, but he <laughs> is, you know, he's still a player who gave us fits. I mean, I, I remember 20-year-old Peter Crouch coming to Hillsborough playing for Portsmouth and absolutely ripping us to shreds. And, you know, that's I still get nightmares about that sort of thing. So I ha I'm under no illusions. I think that... Um, that if we're going to win this, it's not going to be on individual talent. It's going to be on organisation. And the the hope that I have is that um, that that Gary Rowett is still is still kind of living off that amazing six week spell at Birmingham, and that actually he's a bang average manager who can't who, who can't motivate a team or organise a team um, to to you know to play at this level. Uh, honestly, and I said this on our podcast this week. I can't see past, you know, a 2-0 a, a or a 2-1 to Stoke because of the quality they have. I Right now, I feel like you have underperformed massively and it, it's only going to take one game for it all, come, all to come together. And you've played some very good teams so far. You know, you you go away to Leeds. You know, they're a team that is, that is bang at it this season. You go away to West Brom. That's a team who have the experience of, of coming down and, and dominating at this level. Um you know, we got battered by Wigan, and it was three-two in our game. But um, but they were an, an awful lot better than us. So I look at our our season, your season, and it looks like we've done okay with some bad results, and you have massively underperformed. And it, I, I honestly feel like after this this international break, that you've you know you've got the the quality and the experience that those players will have turned that corner. And I'm I'm quite fearful for this Saturday. I'm going to be honest. Right, that's uh, that's a, a nice point for our listeners to hear to end it. I'll just uh, finally ask you. I think you may have uh, given it there, but could I ask you for a prediction? Yes, I, I I don't think you can stop us from scoring. I think we've got the ability to uh, to get some goals, especially um, if we win the toss and we're kicking towards our cop in the second half. We have the ability to suck the ball into the goal. But um, my my opinion, and I don't. I don't like it. I don't take any joy from it. And I'm always very, very positive and bullish about Wednesday. Um, I have predicted this on our podcast. I'll do the same on yours. I think this one finishes 2-1 to Stoke. 